So that was really awesome. And I'm sort of feeling like maybe I don't need to give a sermon now because like that really did it. So thanks you guys for doing that. Um, but because I wrote some stuff, I guess I'm just gonna give it. Um. So first I wanna start with a disclaimer. I'm gonna be talking about darkness and light and I'm also gonna be talking about healing because that's what these scriptures ask us to do. But because these themes have been perverted by Christians over the years, I just want to say that light and darkness are just that, light and darkness. They don't have inherent goodness or badness, and they definitely don't correlate to skin tones. And I hope that by the end of this sermon, you're also going to see that physical healing is not the point of this story or a reward for belief. I could preach a whole sermon on these things, and I have in the past, but if you want to talk more about that, I'm happy to do that after the service. Okay, so that's the disclaimer. Now back to your regular sermon programming. I have babies on the brain. To be honest, that's a lot of the time with me. I love young children. I love making babies smile. I love kids with their wacky brains and interesting questions. And I love being the first person to hold a brand new life, welcoming them into the world. Admittedly, even a little more today than usual since I was on call last night working to support women as they give birth. Many of my patients speak Spanish, and one of my favorite phrases in that language is dar la luz. Dar la luz means to give birth, but the words directly translated mean to give the light. To give the light. Isn't that a beautiful way to imagine birth? Sometimes as I'm saying the phrase, I literally imagine that little person who has only known comforting darkness for all of their growing months being pushed forward or lifted up into a bright space, blinking with the newness of the light as they take their first breath. I mean, how cool is that? To give the light doesn't mean that the light is better or that the darkness was bad. It simply tells the passage of a person from one to the other moving from the womb to the world. Our other lectionary texts today also share the themes of darkness and light. Ephesians encourage us to live as children of the light, exposing sins that have remained hidden. In the 23rd Psalm, the narrator shares that God has been a companion through the valley of the shadow of death. And in John's passage, Jesus gives the light, literally, healing a person who had been born without sight and it's this story that I wanted to focus on today. Now, the Gospels tell us that Jesus did many miraculous acts of healing, so much so that the crowds followed him and pressed against him, hoping that he would heal them all. We only have accounts of some of his healings and miracles, and for me, that begs the question, why did this one make it into our Bible? Why did this one stand the test of time? And I'd argue that it's probably not actually about the physical act of healing at all. Two weeks ago, our scripture was the story of Nicodemus, where Jesus was talking about being born again as a new creation, a fresh birth in God. And Nicodemus asks whether he needs to crawl back inside his mother's womb, literally interpreting Jesus' words in the most literal and weird way possible. And last week, we told the story of the woman at the well. Jesus talks about living water, and she wonders how he is going to draw the water out of the deep well without a bucket. Again, not quite getting what he's saying at first. This week we're talking about blindness. And what do you think the odds are about this story being just about the physical malady that this man was born with? Probably not much. 
This story isn't just about physical blindness. In fact, by the end of the story, Jesus is telling the Pharisees that they are spiritually blind, and the physical blindness of the man is almost beside the point. In John's telling of Jesus' life, everything Jesus does and is are metaphors for things that are deeper and more spiritual than what may be seen at first glance. As one person I read put it, John is an evangelist, not a biographer. Now, as I was writing this sermon, I wondered what the man born blind's name actually was. He's just called the man born blind, not named. So I thought he'd, I'd give him a name so that I'm not always calling him the man born blind. So how about Simeon? Thank you, Chris. Chris tells me this is a very common name uh, at this time. So Simeon, the man who was born blind and who has been a beggar in his community. Let me briefly retell his story in seven scenes. Scene one, Jesus heals Simeon, putting mud on his face and telling him to go wash. Then Jesus leaves. Scene two, Simeon, who is now healed, is questioned by his neighbors. His neighbors aren't even sure that Simeon is who he says he is. He tells them that Jesus has healed him, but is now gone and he doesn't know where he is. Scene three, the Pharisees question Simeon, who continues to say that Jesus is a prophet who has opened his eyes. Scene four, now the Pharisees are questioning Simeon's parents to make sure Simeon really was the man who'd been born blind, and the parents said, hey man, we weren't here, we're not sure, ask our son. Simeon is old enough to answer for himself. Scene five, the Pharisees question Simeon again who seems to be getting frustrated by now, and Simeon says again that Jesus is the one who opened his eyes. Angry, the Pharisees drive him out, saying, you were born entirely in sins and you are trying to teach us? And now Jesus comes back. Scene six. Jesus hears that Simeon has been driven out of his community and Jesus returns to find him and speak with him. Jesus says that he is the son of God and Simeon believes. And scene seven, Jesus returns to the Pharisees and challenges them, saying, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. And did you notice that this story about Jesus doesn't actually have Jesus in it for very long? He does a miraculous healing and then drops completely out of the story for 27 verses, that's actually the longest time in John's gospel that the adult Jesus is absent. So why does he go away for so long? Well, there's a bunch of different answers to that question, but the one I really liked came from Joanne Brandt, who's a professor emeritus at Goshen College. She says that the narrative of the healed man in some way parallels Jesus' own story, including the fact that one, the crowd questions his identity, he tells them that I am, he speaks frankly and logically throughout, but is treated as an invalid witness. He's accused of being a sinner, and he combats the Pharisees with sarcasm and truth. This is a story within a story, highlighting the punchline at the end. Those who think they can see are blind to the truth, while one who is blind and a sinner and an invalid witness is the one who sees Jesus, who, who Jesus is. It also gives us, followers of Jesus after he has physically left the earth, an idea of how we should go on. Like the healed man Simeon, we should imitate Jesus as a bold witness to the truth, despite opposition. And this story is about us too. 
Jesus came and offered us healing, salvation, and goodness, and then he left. We wonder what's going on, what Jesus really meant, and get ourselves all worked up and anxious, blaming each other and not trusting each other. We've even separated people from our communities because we weren't certain that God's grace was meant for them too. And yet, Jesus comes back to find us again and again, offering healing and belonging and hope. And when Jesus returns and we see his spirit moving again, are we ready? Because it is great that Jesus keeps calling to us, keeps coming back, and it's great that Jesus transforms us, but transformation is not often easy, and it's always disruptive. Just look at Simeon. He wasn't recognized by his neighbors after his sight was restored. People only knew him by his faults or his disabilities. And as soon as those were stripped away, he became unrecognizable. Simeon wasn't believed when he spoke the truth about what he'd seen and how he'd been healed. His family distanced themselves from him, fearing repercussions from the religious authorities, and he was eventually kicked out of his society. Jesus changes things. He disrupts things. When he shows up, the status quo is turned upside down. The lowly are lifted up, and the mighty bend their knees. And we often celebrate that change, wish for the change that Jesus would bring to our egocentric world, wanting Jesus to come and destroy empires. But fully welcoming Jesus also means that our lives will be disrupted, that change will come to our understanding of the world. Sometimes it's easier to live with our current understanding of ourselves, however blind we might be to our own faults or misunderstandings, than it would be to step into Jesus' new identity for us, to potentially give up everything for the life that Jesus is offering to us. Yesterday, I was the first person to hold a baby, and actually barehanded on one hand because it came too fast for me to get both gloves on. That child had lived in the darkness for nine months. The darkness was a nurturing space, a place of growth and development. But in the birth process, the child was given the light, transforming into a being separate from his mother's body, taking in the first breath of a new world. Leaving the comforting darkness was an essential step on his journey. Jesus calls us to the same transformation, one that can be just as drastic as birth. What would it mean for us to bravely step into the life that Jesus has imagined for us, to welcome the disruption, and to do it with the full support of others who are looking for that disruption in their own lives? When Jesus comes to us in our blindness, in our searching, and invites us to step into new birth, when Jesus gives us the light and calls us to be transformed, Will we cast aside our fears and courageously follow?